Welcome to Tea and Strumpets, a Regency Romance Review. I'm Zoe. And I'm Kelsey. And today we get to start our new big series journey together. Oh yeah, we're doing it and we're doing it large. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's large and long. But uh, with that in mind, uh, we have a bit of a shorter summary today. We'll see how that goes. Um, and I'll talk more about that after the break and after the summary, because I don't want to spoil anything until till we're there. Fair enough. <laughs> but I'm really excited to get started on this journey. I've been on a reading kick, which has been fun. And uh, yeah, so I'm ready to like read, read, read. Awesome. Excellent. I read a few good ones in the last couple of days, some new releases that I was Ooh. looking forward to that did not disappoint. So, Oh, okay. Is it the Lisa Clayfus that you read? No, it was the Vivian Lauret and Sophie Jordan. <laughs> oh, fun, fun, fun. See, I read the new Lisa Clayfus and uh, yeah, I'll keep my, I'll keep my thoughts to myself. If you want my opinions, you can check me out on Goodreads, but I don't want to spoil it for, you know, anybody who hasn't read it. Um, so lots of good books out this summer. Uh, this one came out quite a bit ago because mm -hmm. today we are talking about the first book in the Maiden Lane series by Elizabeth Hoyt, and that is called Wicked Intentions. Yes. So this week we have some author facts. We've said these before, but since it's our first book in the series, it warrants repeating. Elizabeth Hoyt is the New York Times, USA Today, and Publishers Weekly bestselling author of historical romance, including reader favorite The Raven Prince. Elizabeth has a BA in anthropology from the University of Wisconsin at Madison, and as a result of having no clue what to do with her life thereafter, a career history as a barista and a terrible sales clerk, a Wisconsin Revenue Service data entry slave, and an archaeological <laughs> fieldwork grunt. Fortunately, Elizabeth married relatively young and produced two children who, who kept her busy until her mid-30s. At about this time, when her youngest was entering kindergarten, Elizabeth's mother hinted that perhaps Elizabeth should get a real job. <laughs> Sadly, Elizabeth was so delusional she thought writing a romance novel might qualify as a real job. But five years later, to everyone's surprise, she actually sold that romance novel, The Raven Prince, and began a rather successful career as a romance novelist. This was most fortunate since Elizabeth is singularly unqualified to do anything else but make up stories. Since then, Elizabeth has written over 20 books to critical acclaim, including three contemporaries under the pen name Julia Harper. Elizabeth lives in Minneapolis, Minnesota with three dogs, a garden in constant need of weeding, and an ever-faithful Mr. Hoyt. Oh, I really love her her bio. It's so cute. Um, there's some capitalizations in there, like make up stories and real <laughs> job. And I really like that. So I have a couple of history facts this week that I have brought because our main character suffers from pain when touched. And this pops up now and again in historical romance novels. But I was like, is this a real condition? And from my, um, I don't know, 10, 5, 10 minutes of Googling, it looks like it is a real condition. It has a name hmm. associated with it. And there's definitely like, as I started to dig a little bit deeper, I think that this is often a condition associated with other conditions, specifically migraines too, tend to often then result in, in this uh, symptom, shall we say. Mm -hmm. But it is called allodynia, and it is a condition in which pain is caused by a stimulus that does not normally elicit pain. 
For example, a bad sunburn can cause temporary allodynia, and touching the sunburned skin or running cold or warm water over it can be very painful. It's different from hyperalgesia, which is an exaggerated response from a normally painful stimulus. And the term is actually from ancient Greek, meaning uh, allos, other, and odun, maybe, (laughs) pain. And so I thought that that was an interesting little tidbit to kind of go uh, back to our character today. But there's also a stab wound in this one. Ah, oh, uh, always a stab wound that no and the, one takes care of. I know. <laughs> and the doctor comes and the doctor um, doesn't want to clean the wound because he says the pus is good, laudable pus. And I was like, laudable pus, ah, because I know about this from another podcast that I really love called Sawbones. I listen to that one too. It's a a good one. And so I highly recommend the Sawbones episode of laudable pus, and I'll link to that in the show notes. But I wanted to talk just briefly about what laudable pus is. So in the pre-asepsis era, Surgeon Frederick uh, Treves, Treves, uh, from he was... uh, born in 1853 and died in 1923, he wrote, quote, practically all major wounds separated. Pus was was the most common subject of converse among surgeons because it was the most prominent feature in the surgeon's work. It was classified according to degrees of vileness, quote, but pus of the right kind was considered desirable. If a patient was lucky, a thick cream-colored odorless fluid would appear within five or six days. Such, quote, laudable pus was considered, quote, a sure sign that the wound would heal because it meant, quote, nature has put up a bold fight against the invader. On the other hand, if the pus gradually became watery, blood-tinged, and foul-smelling, it was designated sanious or ill-conditioned, and the wound condition was considered unfavorable. It later came to be understood that laudable pus generally implied an invasion of relatively benign staphylococcus, while ill-conditioned pus usually meant the more dangerous streptococcus was present. So, pretty interesting if you want to hear a whole 45 minutes on pus. (laughs) I highly recommend you check out the Sawbones episode. Yes. Well, it is quite fun. And I know that we talk about it often in these books because there's always a surgeon who comes in and then, you know, we like to throw our own now common nature of disease and first aid at it in the sense that they're like, I shall not let the doctor bleed you because I just have this innate sense that it's wrong. (laughs) And I think it should, we should definitely mention this. We haven't talked about this much, but The Maiden Lane books are set in the Georgian era. So we're going back in time. Like we're, we're in the like, uh, you know, late 1700s here. So, Mm -hmm. um, that's something to be said. We're getting worse with medicine, not better. (laughs) Yeah. No, absolutely. There's also wigs, guys. There are not really in this one, but in some of the other books, Mm -hmm. there are wigs. (laughs) Okay. Now, We've learned about laudable pus. Now, let's talk about tropes. <laughs> I had such a hard time with this one, Kelsey, like coming up with the tropes. So if you have something to add here, please do. But I couldn't come up with like a good 
clear main trope for this one? I mean, I think one of the main clear ones is class differences. I think that's a big one. Yes, there you go. That's a simple one. Why? Yeah, there's I? there's the class differences. Zoe's also written the man with ice for a heart, which is very true, and a woman who believes she deserves to be punished for her sinful thoughts. And but I think that can be more summarized in this sense of like not quite. She's a widow, so she's not quite the virgin, but that's almost mm-hmm. like. That's almost like a twist. It's a widow's take on the virgin and the rake. I agree. I think that's a good way of putting it because he's definitely a rake and she is definitely more um, – what's the word I'm looking for? Like oh, she's definitely sheltered and doesn't have mm-hmm. um, a, a sexually sheltered, I would say, for sure. So yeah, I would say that maybe it's not quite a virgin and the rake, but I would say it's definitely mm-hmm. close. The let's say the the religious widow and the rake. <laughs> I like it. And our main characters today are Lazarus Huntington, Lord Care, and Mrs. Temperance Dews. So again, as I said before, we have a very abbreviated summary, a little different. Um, so we'll see how it goes. And Kelsey, shall we take it away? We shall. Our series is not set in the bright, affluent neighborhoods that are usual of Regency romance, but instead in the slum of St. Giles. Riddled with disease, addiction, and filth, trapped by poverty, the residents deal with many different woes than our usual heroes and heroines. Like the heroine in our story today, the widowed Mrs. Temperance Dews, together with her brother Winter Makepeace, they run the unfortunate foundling home located on Maiden Name, where they take in orphans and school them until they can be apprenticed out at the age of nine. And most unfortunately, the home is struggling to stay afloat since their patron, Sir Stanley Gilpin, had recently passed away and had not remembered the orphanage in his will. On one evening, when Mrs. Dews is out late to rescue a baby from the arms of her dead mother, she and her associate Nell see a very peculiar sight, a silver-haired lord rising inspecting a dead body. Nell recognizes him as his silver hair makes him quite distinctive. He is Lord Care, a man notorious for his sexual proclivities, and one not to be trusted. What he is doing skulking in St. Giles, the pair cannot guess, but the danger of the night and the baby's health make the women skitter away. And they have other reasons to be skittish, for a masked man known as the Ghost of St. Giles has been roaming at night as well, and rumor has it he has taken justice into his own hands, though no one is sure what his motives are. Temperance isn't convinced about the ghost, though, but she is smart enough to know not to linger a moment longer than necessary after dark in St. Giles. Our hero and heroine meet because Lazarus Huntington, Lord Care, needs a guide in St. Giles, and he's heard enough about and sees Mrs. Dews to know she's respected and knows her way around the neighborhood. He offers to pay her to be his guide after the children are in bed, and desperate for money to keep their orphanage running, she agrees, on the condition that he also introduce her to some of the ton so she can find a new and respectable patron. Lord Care refuses to tell her why she is needed, and she is enlightened only during their first outing when he begins asking about a Marie Hume, his mistress, who was brutally murdered. Temperance is peeved because she would have gone to a different source and been more tactful if she knew he was inquiring about a murder. 
Lazarus is a cold man with a cold reputation. This is due to a childhood that was cold and detached from any visible love, a fact that is exacerbated by his allodynia. Any touch instituted by another brings him physical pain. If he initiates the touch, then it does not hurt. Temperance is a frustrated woman, something that Lazarus sees immediately. He realizes she is unsatisfied with the charitable work she does at the orphanage, that it is hard for her to do, and she does not enjoy it. He realizes that she is paying penance for something and that she believes she deserves it. The two come together nightly for their investigations into Marie's murder, and they slowly allow their attraction to become unleashed. While our hero and heroine start to fall for each other, there is a subplot going on as well with Temperance's sister, Silence. She is the wife of a respectable ship captain, a happy match that feels like a honeymoon every time he returns home. However, the owner of the ship he captains refuses to pay off the criminal, charming Mickey, and so Mickey retaliates, retaliates by stealing all all of the cargo off his ship the night it docks. A theft this big is so impossible that Silence's husband, William, will surely be implicated as an accomplice. Impassioned for her husband, Silence makes her way to charming Mickey's castle in St. Giles and pleads for the return of her husband's goods. Mickey is interested by Silence's pluck and pleas. He bargains with her. She stays one night in his bedroom, and he will return the goods. He will not touch her, and if her husband truly loves her, he will believe her when she returns to him. When the night is over, charming Mickey has not laid one hand on silence, but he requires her walk from his home with her bodice open. She stoically walks to Temperance, whom she sees as they have been searching for her, with her head held high, and insists that charming Mickey did not touch her. But it seems all her family can't believe that the nefarious Mickey would leave her untouched, and Silence can see that in their reactions. They appease her, but they do not believe her. Surely your own husband will, though, right? Wrong. William does not believe her and can barely look at her and will not touch her. He is ashamed that she tried to help and sets out on a ship as soon as he is able, leaving a devastated Silence. And back to our main story, which climaxes during the open house of the orphanage while the ton is visiting. It's fashion during this time to visit the poor and see how sad their lives are, and the open house is doing well when it is noticed that one of the orphans, Temperance's favorite, is missing. It appears she's been kidnapped by the villain of the plot, who has also decided to burn down the orphanage with her inside of it. Lord Care makes a heroic dash inside to save Mary Whitson and the cat, named Soot, while all the guests and the other children escape safely to watch the orphanage burn to the ground. Another thing they watch is the ghost of St. Giles, who appears in a motley and harlequin mask as he jumps from the rooftops after the villain, catches her, and deposits her on ground level for the authorities before dashing away. Luckily, Lord Care's mother and Lady Hero, who's the daughter of a duke, have already decided to help and offer to house the children for the meantime, then pay and become patrons for the rebuilding of the orphanage. In the end, Temperance and Lazarus marry, and they work together using his kink, ties in a hood, to work on his allodynia. Temperance's touch no longer burns him, but is mildly unpleasant, but not unbearable. We do have an epilogue of sorts. Silence is alone and a bit bereft and adrift. But then one day, a basket is left on her doorstep, and in it is a sweet little girl with wild curls and a silver locket with one word inscribed in it. Darling. So Silence names her Mary Darling, and with that, she has the start of something new. 
So <laughs> there's a lot to discuss in this book, and I know the synopsis was very short. So I'm excited to get into that. Shall we adjourn first to the parlor? We shall. So today we're talking to you about Outrageous by Minerva Spencer, which is perfect for the discerning bromance reader who is craving a story that turns expected tropes upside down. Minerva Spencer weaves a tale where their heroine kidnaps the hero and threatens to have her way with him instead of the other way around as they race to the Scottish border. With fabulous reviews and a reputation for writing fast-paced stories, dazzling with action, unique setting, and forward-thinking characters, Minerva Spencer is poised to break out with a new, younger, more discerning readership. Outrageous is the second installment in The Rebels of the Ton, a new series about a younger generation that has no qualms about breaking the strict rules of Regency-era London. So the synopsis is, from handsome hostage to unexpected suitor. When Ava de Courtenay kidnaps Godric Fleming, her only plan is to stop the irritating Earl from persecuting her beloved brother. But once she has the intriguing rogue in the confines of her carriage, she longs to taste the passion she senses simmering beneath his rugged exterior. Her forbidden plan... Her forbidden plan is foiled, however, when Godric turns the tables, taking her hostage instead and demanding they marry at once. The last thing Godric wants to do is to make the fiery, impulsive Ava his wife, despite her delectable mouth and alluring innocence. He knows from experience that nothing is forever, not even love. But honor demands he do right by the lady, no matter how stubbornly Ava tries to hold her independence. And while the road to the Scottish border is beset with danger, Godric's greatest challenge is to keep his hands and his heart from his captivating bride-to-be. Ooh, you know, I think I actually was looking at this just for the fun of my own reading. <laughs> I know this one's a fun, I, you know, I, I like the whole, um, you know, young folks of the Regency who are tired of the rules. I, um, I'm really into that. <laughs> if you'd like to find us on social media, you can find us on Instagram at T is in Tom and is in Nancy Strumpets, Twitter, the same Facebook slash T is in Tom and is in Nancy Strumpets and YouTube by searching the name of our show. And if you are listening to us on YouTube, now is a great time to click that thumbs up and smash that subscribe. Uh, but before you forget, and you know, liking and commenting on our videos and subscribing to our channel is just a great way to let us know that you like what we're doing. And if you'd like to know ahead of time what we're reading each month, subscribe to our email notifications via our website. If you subscribe, you'll be the first to know what we're reading each month. Plus, you'll get all sorts of extras, including exclusive content from each of the authors who join us on the podcast. Our website is romancepod.com. And subscribers, I'm so sorry. You may have noticed you did not get an email this month. And that's just because our lives have been really crazy. But I promise there will be some explanation in the next one. So if you aren't a subscriber, now is a great time to, to subscribe and get all that juicy, hot gossip. <laughs> Excellent. There you go. You got to understand where we are when we randomly just like disappear off the face <laughs> of the universe. <laughs> we promise we won't do it for very long. We always come back. Indeed. Hello 
listeners. I'm Shar. And I'm Kelly. And together we host Drinking and Screaming. A queer and feminist podcast about horror movies and cocktails. We're an approachable show for horror fans and scaredy cats alike. With each episode featuring a unique and in-depth discussion on a different horror film. From classics like Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. Spoilers, he's an awful human being. And The Exorcist. That famous puke was made with pea soup. To modern films like Hereditary. Where we spoke with Charlie herself, actress Millie Shapiro. And host. We interviewed the full cast. You'll be sure to have a great time and maybe learn something new. And we're a film podcast that isn't just a bunch of bearded white men. Who knew? Drinking and Screaming has four full seasons out now wherever podcasts are found. And remember, always scream responsibly. All right. All right. So, Zoe, first book in the series. We mentioned this when the series was picked, and I have only ever read this book in the Maiden Lane series. So this is the (laughs) one book that was a reread for me, and I still didn't like it that much. (laughs) I have read this book. This is probably my third reread because I think I've read the whole series twice. So this is my third time reading this book. And I would really like to never read this book again. (laughs) Good. I am not a fan of this book. And Mm -hmm. it's really, there's some interesting things about this book. Like, why did I keep reading the series? You know, like, what was it about this book? I think that there's definitely some intrigue to like you know, the silver haired man who can't be touched. And then like temperance has these secrets and you're like, what's her big secret? What's her reveal? What is it that happened? And none of it, like, I think maybe when I was a newer romance reader, it panned out for me or it worked for me, you know, but now that I've read so much more romance, I'm just like, I'm not into either of them or the story. No, I'm not. I'm not like, And I understand, like, I will say this falls into the same problems that often a first book in a series does. They're setting you up for a lot. There's a lot of setup. I will say, though, I was more interested in Silence's subplot, even the first read around, Mm -hmm. than I was in the actual story. And I think what, like, and I think at the time, yes, they were written a long time ago, I could have just skipped to Silence's book. But the part of me that didn't like this book that much was like, I don't want to read number two and then number three. And so I just never picked up any of them. Yeah, no, totally fair. Um, I think that this book is, yeah, this book has so much set up. Like you said, it's it's a first book in a series. It, this also has the thing that I don't like. And every book in the series has this, which is so weird. It has the like stuff in italics at the top of the chapter. So we have a oh, fairy yeah. tale at the beginning of this. And like each chapter is is a little bit of a continuation of the fairy tale. And it it does connect. But to me, the connection of this particular fairy tale, it's called King Locked Heart. And so it's like a king who like has his heart locked in a chest or something. And like, I guess it's supposed to symbolize like Lazarus. But I just, I don't, I just don't care. Like I skipped over it completely. Like I did not I know. read one word of I- it this time. <laughs> The thing is, I remembered this thing like playing out and I was like, I mean, I knew exactly where it was going the first time, even though it's been so long since I read it. And I was I did diligently read them. And there was some for like my thing is, it's just like 
at the beginning there was a bit of foreshadowing and then it kind of like got out of sync. So like it didn't foreshadow what actually happened in yeah. each chapter. So then I was like, why couldn't that story be like a prologue almost? You know what I mean? Because yeah. it didn't have a prologue. So I think that story could have had it half being of it like, as the prologue and half of it as an epilogue. Yeah. You know? And then, like, taking you through it. So I just didn't think it needed to be up there with the start of chapters. But I do know how you feel about those. And I almost read them in the sense that I'm like, I'm going to read these just because I bet Zoe's not going to read them. (laughs) So the other thing that I think is interesting about this is this book has a crazy plot. So much happens in this book. But at the same time, like, it does come together. Yeah. First of all, so much happens, nothing happens, but it all comes together. It does. Somehow. So like, I feel like this book is still well written, but just nothing stands out. And it's, it's, it's almost, it's difficult to pick anything out and like remember anything about it. And I've read it three times. Yeah. I just. See, I remembered it, but I think it's because I didn't like it that much. Yeah. So. Although I didn't, I did not remember like the whole like murder, murderous plot because I think there was just too much other things going on. Mm -hmm. So I think that part escaped me but you know you could kind of follow along with where it went it was again interesting to see the other characters and um get a feel for them so I think as far as like a setup novel it works I think just I was not enamored of the main characters and that's what killed it for me I agree and I want to get I want to get more into to that in just a second but I will say that reading it this time I and and listeners, if you've read the series, like I found some Easter eggs for later in the series that I had not realized before. So there's quite Mm. a bit of, there's, there's quite a bit of information that's in this book that you do not know is going to be important later. Um, And so it's not like if you didn't read it, you wouldn't know. But I think if you read the other books later and you've read this, you're like, wow, it really has been kind of percolating since then. So that Mm -hmm. is is interesting. And I I think it's even like book nine that like one of the things that is just briefly mentioned in this book. It becomes the entire plot. So yeah, so that's yeah, that, that that's interesting um but at the end of the day this is a romance and i agree neither of the characters jumped out to me before we get into them though there were two little other things i wanted to to mention were interesting to me Mm -hmm. so the make peace family they're like super weird religious sort of but not but like none of the kids are religious but not yeah yeah (laughs) and i have it's very different it's very interesting and I didn't mention it really in the summary, but they they name all the children that come to the unfortunate infants and foundling home or whatever, um, Mary somebody or Joseph somebody. So like it'll be like Mary Whitson, Mary Darling, Mary, you know, I, I don't remember. And Joseph Tinbox. Yeah, Joseph Tinbox. I mean, it's so bad. All of them are Mary. Joseph this, Joseph that. Just, and it's just like, it's... Well, it's, and there's even a moment, and this is, I think this is what drove me crazy, is in the end with, like, Silence's little thing about, like, the little girl she finds and names her Mary Darling. I know. I was really annoyed because at one point, Silence was trying to figure out who all the kids are, and she's like, ugh, curse my brother and sister for naming you all Mary and Joseph. I, I don't know which one you are. Like... <laughs> And then she goes and names the kid Mary Darling. I'm like, I really thought we were going to branch out to something way different. <laughs> like, Seriously. So it's just uh, – um, 
but yeah. And then the other thing that was actually quite hard for me to read, but I think is interesting is that the baby that they rescue um, in the first pages grows very sick. And there are some scenes with her in the, the, with the wet nurse and she gets a fever and they think she's going to die. And having an infant was like really hard for me to read that this time. But at the same time, I think that it's really interesting to have these books set in St. Giles and set with these characters living very different lives than most of the, you know, Mm -hmm. Regency romance characters and the aristocracy of the gentry. Like these are people who have like real issues that they have to deal with. And it's just so much different than, than normal. And I like that because it makes the world it expands the world um, that we're yeah, reading Yeah, and I think there was a bit more sense of, like, uh, there was almost a more sense of realness to it, you know? Like, it was almost like, I can't remember if the baby dies or not, you know? like Well, yeah, because if it was you know, just that the baby sort of, of the main character, we we would go, okay, they're not going to do this to us. They're not going to make yeah. this baby die. But, no. like, but, like, it's just a random child that like she went to rescue and like does that have a significance like you know so it just very it brings a little bit more reality like you said into like the world it's not just like the happily ever after rich nobles who like can afford the best doctors and you know this and that Mm -hmm. absolutely all right but let's let's get into our hero and our heroine who do you want to talk about first him because i so 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 don't like him Interesting. I feel more strongly about temperance. So this is great. Let's talk. (laughs) Okay. So it's more just, and it's very interesting because I'm going to harken back to like our fourth episode or something where we read a book that I was super interested in that I liked. And you were just like, this guy is so skeezy and so this. (laughs) And like, I didn't see it, but in this book, I'm like, I find, like, he just grates against me. Interesting. Like, the things, like, I even highlighted some things he said that, like, I could see where you could, like, turn it a different way. But, like, for me, it just made me go, ugh. I agree. He's an asshole. And the the writer, the author does not shy away from writing him as an actual jerk. Like, he says some things to Temperance that goad her and push her and make her feel bad about herself. But yeah. also she'll push back and be mean to him too, which I think is interesting, but made me no. dislike both of them. I did not. Well, that's the thing is like, I think that there was like, even when they eventually did come together and like agree with this mutual attraction, there was this kind of like, animosity towards them in that sense yeah like you could still kind of like the way they talk to each other there was still this like you know lack of trust Mm -hmm. and things like that but it was very interesting because neither one of them really had anything in the past to like make them not be trustful of other people well they sort of did i mean so lazarus's dad was a cold asshole and anything his mother liked he tried to like take away from her so the mom you know, couldn't show any sort of favor to the kids because otherwise that would give more attention to the kids. And then the dad would be like, take them more away from her. Again, I also like, I'm saying that. understand that. that. I know. And I'm saying that in the eye roll thing because it was like, you're a 30 something year old man. Like get over yourself (laughs) at this point. No. And it's like, but that's the thing is like, I get he had trauma. Like I get it would be more, he's 
unused to, I would say he's not expecting female like attention or anything like that. But I mean, like, he does not trust her attention in the sense that like, he's going after her. But then when she has like, then when she kind of, you know, starts to like him back, he's like, whoa, what are you doing? It's like, yeah, but you've been pursuing her this whole time. And like, even if you don't yeah. want her to fall in love with you, like, why would you think like you guys are building this friendship? And like, that's the thing is that you do see this friendship start to form, but then both of them are willing to just chuck it away. Yeah, they're just, it just didn't, I mean, they didn't, I just disliked both of them. And at the end of the day, like, I guess there's someone for everyone and I'm glad they have each other is yeah. kind of where I was at. Like, no, and I think it was more, I don't mind an asshole hero. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's the thing is like, I can appreciate an asshole hero, but I didn't find a single like redemptive quality to him. Yeah. Like at all. So I, at the end when he kind of gets like, oh, wait a minute, temperance, you're using sex as a punishment to yourself. Like, so you're using you're using me for sex, but sex to you is like the ultimate punishment. So you're actually using me. I like had and then he instead of getting like really assholeish about it, he just was kind of like, "All right, well, this isn't gonna work for me." And he kind of backed off where I thought like, I, I don't know. And then I, I didn't like that particularly in general, but I just remember being like, "All right, I'll give him a like, I'll give him like." a quarter of a point here. They- I, I, yeah, I mean, towards the end of the book, I mean, I did not, I will say, I did not dislike him as much at the end as I did at the beginning. Agreed. But I never got past the point where I, I never got to the point where I liked him. Agreed. <laughs> so I think it's interesting because I feel like he grew in my regard and temperance fell in my regard Agreed. as the as Agreed. the book went on. Agreed. I kind of was like more interested in her at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then I think like as we went on, it was like it was almost just like her like trauma and pain and suffering, like, you know, that, you know, her secret and what makes her her. Mm-hmm. It's almost like it became more defined for her at like to- towards the end like as the book went on where normally you expect the the hero and the heroine to start breaking the barriers down between them it was like almost that she started like erecting more barriers which i guess you could say is more realistic in some ways like yeah i'm just trying to live my life and you're over here trying to deconstruct me so i'm just gonna like make the wall higher but at the same time too i don't think again but but it goes it it plays in the brain like her secret is bad in the sense like it was just horrific timing, but it's not like the actual worst secret in the entire world. No, and it was like, really? Yet, That's but, what you're holding on to? Come on, grow up and get over yourself. <laughs> no, well, and like, and that's the thing is, and it's, but it's also like, again, it it goes into like the weird religious aspect of mm-hmm. them where they're like really religious in some ways and not in other ways, you know? Like, because you don't find them to be, like, a super religious household. Like, they don't, like, you know, it's in that time, you know, like, we expect all of them to say their prayers, go to church, blah, blah, blah. I mean, they do have the kids, then. like, singing hymns and stuff. But but that's kind of what most of them would do. Like, any school at that point would do the similar things. You know what I mean? Well, let's, like, let's rate in, them, though, because anyway. I, I, yeah. I want to give We've Lazarus a rating. And... <laughs> Okay. I remember when Vanessa Zoltan came on the show, 
there was a line that she said that stuck with me. She was like trying to get us to define our rating system a little bit more. She was like, you know, a one is like, I wouldn't wish him upon my worst enemy. And like, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't wish him upon my worst enemy. So like, I, I just, I feel like I almost have to give him like a one. I really don't like him. I wouldn't, I would not want him to be with any of my friends. You know what? That's fair. I like that you're like defining the system because like I so like I don't even know the last time I went below a five on a rating (laughs) for a hero. (laughs) And so in my head, I'm like, he's got to be like a three or a four, you know, but like I just feel like one and two is just like I need them to be smited immediately, like in a race from the whole of the earth. And like he got a little better at the end. So I guess I don't know. But I would agree with you. Like, he feels like a one to me in the sense that I really couldn't stand him. And, like, I was looking for more reasons to prove how much I didn't like him. I would like to say (laughs) this book is well written. I want that to be clear. It is. So this is not, like, this is not a dig against the writing or anything. This is how I personally feel about this man as if he were a human. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, no, no. And I think that, yeah, and it's, I did enjoy the book. I'm very intrigued and I, like, Reading it the second time, I'm even more intrigued by like Silence's thing. I'm so annoyed that it's like not the next book. Do you so remember what, like, what is the next one? I haven't looked it up in a it's, while. It's Lady Hero's book. <gasps> oh, okay. Okay. Because I, I literally <laughs> went through and I looked up all the series and I tried to figure out who – because I was intrigued by some other characters, like their mysterious brother – of temperance and William (laughs) like they have a mysterious brother and I'm like very interested in this mysterious brother he doesn't even come in until like book nine like yeah 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 don't did you read all the did you read all the descriptions I didn't read the descriptions don't because there's there's some major reveals in this this series so if you can withhold yourself from reading some of the Book descriptions, I you'll be mainly was just looking for who the characters were in each one. And I wanted to see if I knew them or not. And so our next one is Lady Hero, who is a very like subplot role in this, but mm-hmm. kind of takes on a bigger role towards the end. And she's also just like a nice human. Yes, she is. I think she I think her hero's name is Godric, if I'm not mistaken. But we digress significantly. Let's talk about temperance. So I'll try oh, yes. to we'll try to be we talked about her a little bit with Lazarus. So I will say she irritates me to no end. Like again, like <laughs> you said, she she builds up these barriers, she becomes and it's this whole like she has this like pious, like doing penance thing. And I do like that Lazarus calls her out on that. He's like, what are you doing penance for? Like, what are you punishing yourself for? What is it you did? What did you, what do you think is so bad? And finally she kind of like says, she says it, which I didn't include in the summary. And what she did is she had an affair with another man. And while she was, that was not her husband. And the uh, the first time that they slept together, her husband was run over by a cart in the street and died. So while she was having her affair, her husband died. And so she feels like God is punishing her. So she has to punish herself by working in this orphanage, which she doesn't particularly care for. She, She feels compassion for the orphans, but it's very hard for her because she wants to love them and it's a poor thing yeah um anyway yeah yeah she wants to love them but she can't because she has to give them up anyway yeah but But again it's like i'm so over it i'm so over like i'm over her from like page two i mean when she starts I i just i have no connection with her i find her 
kind of, she has just this holier than thou thing that doesn't work for me. No, and it's a holier than thou thing that, again, has no backup because you don't even know she has something in her past. Like, she doesn't even start making allusions to it until, like, halfway through. And then suddenly it's all she can talk about, like, in her own head. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, and then they, like, also just, like, oh, I can't, I can't love them because of this. And I'm like, I don't understand. Like, she won't even hold the baby because she's afraid of loving it. And it's just, like. Okay, you guys both are King Lock at heart, apparently. <laughs> like, no, seriously. And they, yeah. And again, it wasn't even that bad. And like, I guess, you know, her other, the other part of it is, is like, she's very, the biggest part in like the affair was like, she was, her husband was very much like, sex is her for husband was super religious. Yeah, yeah, sex for procreation, but not too often. Like, only often enough to like give it a whirl and she just like you know had her sexual awakening and was like yeah but I'm kind of interested like she's just like passionate and she's just like you know has a libido and her husband is just reserved and you know and then she meets this guy who like brings out all those qualities and again it's just so wishy-washy and how she says no but then she says yes and then she says no and it's like I don't know what you're doing yeah, and there's also we didn't mention it with with Lazarus, but he, you know, so his like he's known as this like deviant, sexual deviant because he likes to use ties and a hood. He's into some BDSM, but only like ties and a hood. So basically, ties and oh, a no, blindfold. he just yeah, That's he it. ties them up so they can't touch him, but he can touch them. Yeah, like, and like that's like. It, it, they make this big deal out of it, and then you find out it's just like ties and a blindfold. And I get like it's. It's a deviant. It's Georgian London. It's but not like, the norm, but still. But he's also like, he can easily find other men that have the same proclivities as him. Anyhow, it was just like, it felt yeah. also a bit anticlimactic as a reader, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyhow, so how would uh, how would you feel about temperance? Where, where do you feel about her? Oh, I also hated that she didn't believe silence. Ugh. Oh, I know. That was so rude. That was so rude of her. And like... Of anyone to believe silence, it would be Temperance. And like, and even Temperance's was like, yeah, sure, honey, sure. He didn't touch you. Like. Yeah. I didn't like that. Okay. So how would you rate her? No. Yeah, she's going to be like in the two range. I like. And again, but it's only because like I said, like. I, I feel so bad giving them like a one and two rating, but that's where they are. Like, I. Would they really wish her down upon there. my worst enemy? I don't think that she has much to offer. I just like, I just don't, I'm not into her at all either. I have to give her the same as Lazarus. If I give Lazarus, Lazarus a one, I have to give her a one also because I personally, she rubs me even more the wrong way than he does. So it's a one. Yeah. Which is crazy. It, yeah, it was really funny where she got where he got like moderately better at the end. Like he like went up by like half a degree in my estimation. She went like down degrees like through the book. Like there'd be points where yeah. I was like, okay, I kinda like her. And then she'd do something and be like, What are you doing? Like, I don't like you now. Like I like you less I liked her less at the end of the book than I did at the beginning of the book. Totally agree. Well, do you have a quote you'd like to share from this book by chance? Um I have I a do. very short one, which just pull like, up your quote. I'm gonna 
get mine. I just have to pull them up because my Kindle's elsewhere. So basically, I just really liked this little moment as a nursing mom when they were having the, they were at the, the wet nurse's house and she was trying to feed the, the new baby, um, who was not sucking. And that was sad. But then, um, she was like, okay, well, let me let my kid have a try. And so, and then we'll, we'll put the baby back on the breast. And it says her mm-hmm. child immediately went to the nipple sucking contentedly with great gulps as she idly held one stockinged toe with her chubby fingers. And I was just like, oh, <laughs> as someone who is currently nursing and whose child always is holding her little toes with their fingers, it just was like, it was a really real moment. And I think those were some of the mm-hmm. things that I liked about this book, kind of like what we talked about, giving us a little bit of a different view into things and and just seeing yeah. a slightly bigger world than the drawing rooms of Mayfair. I just thought Nell said the best thing. Hmm. Um, so she just like, let's see if I, is this the only thing I did? Can I go to this page and location to see what I highlighted? Okay. I just highlighted this little thing, but basically like Nell, this is where things got weird for me too. Cause Nell was the one like my lady stay away from that man. <laughs> He's got like a reputation. And then even towards the end, she's basically like, well, like, if it makes you happy, go for it, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, she's trying to basically, like... So, basically, the, the quote is, Nell leaned forward. If bed sport brings joy, even for a little while, why condemn it? Yeah. Go, Nell. And I just think that's just a good line, and I think it's a go, Nell. I think it's just a good way, too, of just thinking about, like, you know, when you're like, oh, but I can't because this is wrong, and, like you know, Mm -hmm. marriage and like this, like, I just liked her attitude towards it. It's it's like, is finding joy even for a little bit wrong? Like, I think if you're doing it not for joy, but for other reasons, then yeah, sure, it's not the best. But if you're finding joy, then like, why should you condemn it? Absolutely. So speaking of bed sport, we are now at our steaminess rating and encounter counter. So we actually had six encounters in this one. This was pretty encounter heavy. I'm not going to lie, too. It was fairly encounter heavy. And like, despite my lack of interest in either character, I did find some of these scenes fairly steamy. I agree. I think it was a, a hot cup of tea, but then like the biscuits on the plate next to it were stale. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I didn't like the characters, but, like, I agreed with some of the scenes. There was one scene that reminded me of, like, the one erotica novel we read Mm -hmm. where, like, they, like, the little exhibitionists, they're in a room with, like, a peephole. And Temperance is, like, looking in and she's getting, like, she's getting hot and bothered. And then he notices she's getting hot and bothered. He's like, oh, like, what is it that you see? Like, describe it to me. And I was like, whew, okay. (laughs) Yes. I I really liked that scene and I thought like I agree it was like it would have these moments of like oh it's steamy. I don't even know how it's so steamy because I didn't feel like they had that much chemistry. But hey, you know, I guess that's part of the good writing, right? Is that like Elizabeth Hoyt yeah. is able to to just write a great scene. <laughs> yeah, no, and like she is able to write good stuff and um and yeah, again, the writing wasn't bad like 
it's a first novel, so I have hope for the second ones, like, in the series where they don't have to go into, like, so much world building, so. Yes. I'm, I am, I am looking forward to the next one. It's not Godric. Godric St. John has his own book. It is Griffin, I believe, or Griffith is her hero's name, is, is, mm-hmm. is Lady Hero's hero's name. <laughs> That's okay. going to be fun. Mm. <laughs> So anyhow, the point is the next book, different different hero. So this next section, though, to talk about, I've been thinking about like for the last couple of days in the shower. I'm like, how am I going to wh- – where would I put this book when we talk about our feminist recap? Because I don't mm-hmm. think that anything in this book is overtly unfeminist. Like I don't think that this book is – is I don't written know. And again, unfeminist, I but don't. I just would never hand this book to someone and say, like, you're going to feel empowered after reading it. No, there is – I highlighted it. I'm not going to read the whole quote, but, like – and again, this highlights my dislike for him. And, like, it was just the one that I really did. But basically, like, Lazarus is, like, I'd never considered, like, the needs of the women because they were just, like, the vessel for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And I was like, and then it's so funny because apparently he's all worried about her orgasm. I'm like, I'm sorry. I thought women were just a vessel for you. Yeah. (laughs) I'm glad you know where the clitoris is. I'm just saying, though. (laughs) Well, that and even the fact that Temperance doesn't believe her sister. Like, there isn't even, like, sister-to-sister solidarity. And I think that – I think that some of the – choices that she made in that is to try to illustrate the world and like the actual yeah. like to be a little bit more like this is how the world was and this is the mm-hmm. flaws this character has and he's coming around yeah it just like at the end of the day did not work f- for me <laughs> mm-hmm. so i i i really think that i have to call this book an offender just because it just it offended me yeah. in places it did offend me in a lot of ways and again but part of it's just because and, like, the brilliantness of it is at the end, and we say how, like, Lazarus is mom and Lady Hero decide to become patronesses mm-hmm. of, you know, the orphanage. And literally, Temperance is like, I never considered a patroness instead of a patron. Right. Ugh. And after, like, her patron, you know, the guy she thought would be interested in being a patron, he was just interested in basically having her as his mistress and using the orphanage as a cover-up. So, like. Yep. <sighs> And I'm just, yeah, so I would say this is a bit of an offender because, like, the women just, like, could not. And our main villain was a woman. That was interesting, though, because that was unexpected. And that was also it showing was wo- a woman in a position of power at the top of an organization. So this one just was, this was a whole confusing tangle that just didn't end up working for me. Yeah. So anyhow, final book rating. This one also is more difficult for me because I'm going to also take into account the world building. I think the world building is good. I think that the um, writing is good. I think the characters don't work for me. It is steamy. I like that about it. Um, You know, one is I wouldn't wish this book upon my worst enemy. Uh, 10 is one of my favorites. And five is I could take or leave this book. Three. I'm gonna also I don't want to read it again. <laughs> I agree. I'm gonna I'm gonna rate it. I was gonna rate it a four, and I'm gonna stick with that because I would leave this book. But I think that that it it has some interesting things and 
as we get to later books in the series, it'll be fun to be like, and then remember, I have to pull up this line from this book that's going to like connect. But I don't know if that's worth it. (laughs) No, I think for me, it's a three. Um, I was trying to go into reading it with an open mind because I remembered like, that's the thing about this book. I only had negative impressions of it. And yep. I'm one that, like, can't always – like, I remember vague things about the plot. I'll remember something that maybe stuck with – like, I remembered he had silver hair. Like, mm-hmm. that was about, like, the main thing I remembered. And I remember there was a brother. I did remember the whole, like, sister and the charming Mickey thing. But I had very vague notions of the rest of it. But I knew I did not like it. And I did not want to read it. And I think I I only ever finished it because I was – it wasn't so bad. The writing was good enough I could finish it. Mm -hmm. So that was good. Yeah. But I – for me, it's a three because not only could I leave it, but it gave me no desire to read number two. Which is – I wasn't intrigued enough to read number two. I am now, after rereading it, I am intrigued enough now to read number three. And since we're reading it anyway, I'm kind of like, Zoe, can we get on with this so I can at least read the book I want to read? And I don't care about the rest of them. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) Hopefully you get more excited. I know, like, Ace's book is far along and you're like, what is he doing with his life? And I'm like, who is this mysterious brother who pops up for five minutes and then leaves again and is just referred to constantly? Constantly. constantly referred to yeah and then there's also winter who seems like such a little stiff and oh my god his book is so good uh, i think i referred to him as william at one point in the synopsis and his name is definitely winter yes you said william when we were talking about him and i was like did you mean the the husband of silence or did you mean the brother it's fine listeners you probably I'm figured sorry. it out <laughs> william winter it's really funny because like they all have interesting names but it's like the female names are all like virtues and then Mm -hmm. the males names are just all just random well i actually looked up concord and asa and they actually do have meanings that are like more closer to the sisters names i didn't realize like that that's what they kind of meant but um winter is still a little that one is the one that like feels a little odd but oh see for me concord i just was thinking like concord massachusetts or concord california (laughs) Yeah, because I was like, I wonder if Concord um, means something. And I typed in Concord etymology, and it's Middle English from Old French Concord. Um, It means it's like of one mind or together with the heart. So like cord. So so there there is agreement, harmony, um, treaty. So that's kind of what it means. Um, I'm sure that there's a bunch of biblical implications, but yeah. Yeah. So anyhow, we made it through this book and we don't have to read it again. (laughs) Yay. Thank the Lord. In fact, next time I brought, I am bringing a book to the table that I really wanted to read because it was one of the first books I read after this one. And I, I'm just going to say, Loved this book so much that I read like five more in the series right afterwards. I've been reading a book a day oh. from this series. It has oh. like literally just it, – it's really brought a lot of joy to me and I also really feel like I need to now evangelize this series and tell people all about it and shout it from the rooftops. So I feel very strongly about bringing it to our listeners. Okay. Well, I'm intrigued. I've read like – two chapters out of it. Woo-hoo. I'm not elated at this point, but I think yeah. part of it is because I 
was reading some other books that are much more like my genre and now I'm going mm-hmm. completely left field. So I'm like, I know Zoe says it's really good. I'm not sure when it's going to get really good. <laughs> so I will have to read it and see. Yes, for sure. So what we are talking about is our next book is going to be A Duke A Dozen by Shanna Gallen. So, and I should double check that I'm pronouncing Shanna Gallen's name right, but um, hopefully I am. If not, you'll hear it differently next time. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it is the sixth book in the Survivors series. Yes. And I can't wait to talk more about that later. <laughs> I'm so excited. I love... Okay. Anyhow. Uh, enough. Anyhow. <laughs> so thank you all so much for listening please rate review subscribe tell your friend about us that is how we get found and we so appreciate your support and join us next time as we read a duke a dozen by shanna gallon and may all your ever afters end happily 